We'll analyse Australia's performance in the field on the Splash Plus. Assess the Wallabies season finale. It's Friday, the 24th of November. Yeah, welcome into the Splash on this Friday. I am your host, Phil Pryor. As I mentioned off the top, uh, we'll talk about Australia's bowling and fielding display uh from the first innings of the first Ashes test. That in a moment. Um, Plus, we're going to talk to rugby writers, uh, Sam Worthington and Christy Doran uh, here at Fox Sports. uh, Ahead of Australia's and the Wallabies' final uh, test of the season up against Scotland early Friday morning. Plus, look at potential leadership changes uh, at the top of the ARU. Speaking of season finales. The supercars, they're in Newcastle um, as they look to crown a driver's champion uh, up in Newcastle, the final round of the supercars season. And of course, Rugby League World Cup semi-finals are also this weekend as well. Australia up against Fiji tonight, uh, depending on when you're listening to this Friday edition of The Splash. And then on Saturday, 4pm, Tonga v England uh, over in New Zealand. A couple of big games, of course, the Fox League team will be covering those games on the foxsports.com.au website. Uh, And they've also got all the preview content up there now, the big picture and late mail as well. Plus, as we brought to you on the splash yesterday, Brad Fittler confirmed uh, as the Laurie Daly replacement of the New South Wales Blues origin outfit, Um, And he's named a couple of potential bolters as well for next year's series. Head to the website for all of those details. But let's talk a bit of cricket. So at lunch on day two of the first Ashes test, I've asked cricket writer Jacob Kareep to come in uh, and talk to me about Australia's under par, inverted commas, under par bowling display because it that's what it felt like uh, after the first at least couple of sessions yesterday, right, Jacob? Yep. Yeah, so it's an interesting one because England's all out before he entered in two now, as we yeah. all know, and yeah. that's probably about 150 runs under par themselves. But I'd say on day one, the Australian quicks, they just didn't seem to be as, as good as we all know they can be. I mean, they were not helped by a Gabba pitch that was on the slower side mm. and on the softer side as well, so there wasn't that same zip and carry you'd expect of a Gabba deck, but... Um, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to ask. What kind of went wrong for the going into this series? Such a, uh, a fire bowling attack, yeah. big names, everyone was fit and firing and uh, anticipation and expectation told us that they were just going to absolutely rip through these uh, English batsmen, which they failed to do. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I think um, everyone expected Australia's quicks to tear through England, I think yeah. 302 is about the score. I think everyone thought Australia would knock England over for. Yeah. I don't think anyone expected England to bat this long. Well, they did, but they didn't expect it to happen in this way. Yeah. Alistair Cook nicks off in the third over, and everyone is the the, the, the feeling Here was we it, go. yeah, just be Australia would just roll on from there. Mm. Um, but you know, two of the the Neville nobodies that Matthew Hayden was talking about, and um, Mark Stoneman and and James Ventsman and you know, put on a 125-run stand over 50 overs, and Australia's quicks looked really short of ideas until Pat Cummins blasted through the defence of, of Mark Stoneman. It was quite interesting across the 
really the first day of cricket, Australia just kept the ball really full, um, which would make sense if if it was swinging or if it was moving any, but it, but it wasn't. Yeah. And England yeah. England batsmen were showing incredible patience, and they were just happy to wait that out. Um, today, Australia, you know, they went short. They got more aggressive. There's there's lots of short pitch stuff for Mitchell Stark and and Pat Cummins, and and the end result is that England go from being four for one ninety six at the start of the day to all yeah. out for three hundred and two. Yeah. Yeah, they fought back really strongly. What was the difference in the Australian bowling attack from attack from yesterday to today? Uh, for me, it was as simple as just you know trying out that short ball more the often. Yeah, the length yeah. made all the difference. Uh, three of the six wickets that fell today were to bouncers, mm. um, and Nathan Lyon got two wickets that he you know truly richly deserved. Deserved. Um, but yeah, it's just just the change in length on a pitch that wasn't offering them too much real effort stuff from the Australia, from Australia's bowlers like as I said slow pitch that wasn't offering too much bounce so you know to do this does take a lot of effort especially with only the three quicks in the side yeah and the other puzzling uh, thing potentially to come out of yesterday was uh, the at least the early decision to uh, to play Sean Marsh with a bad back yep. in a bat pad rather than a rookie in his first test uh, who's a specialist bat yeah. pad uh, uh, Cam Bancroft, who played at slips. What happened? Yeah, it's... it's and a, why? It's a strange one. Sean Marsh does have, you know, history at bat pad. He's not a bad bat padder. He's actually quite good there. But considering he had the back injury and considering that, you know, Cameron Bancroft is Australia's best bat pad. He's, he's the best bat pad in the country. Mm. So why you wouldn't have him there? I mean, it's in a Cricket Australia's rule book. If you're the, <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're the rookie... Yeah, exactly. You know? And if you're if you're a rookie who also happens to be the best for the job, even better. <laughs> um, I think I was reading Martin Smith, uh, one of Cricket Australia's journals on Twitter, said that Sean Marsh hadn't been practicing in the slips this week, possibly because of the bad back, and and Cam Bancroft had been in the slips during okay. training. So it might have just been as simple as that. That you know Bancroft had been practicing at third slip, so he gets to go. Um, you know, the rest of the the innings, Bancroft was at bat pad though. So mm. Steve Smith may have just you know, forgot for a moment that he had this gun bat pad on his side. It was interesting today because Bancroft wore one right in the grill of a full-blooded pull shot off Dawid Milan. Um, I've never seen a bat pad just so, you know, sto- like solid. He he took it in the grill, and after he took it in the grill, he still tried to take the catch. It was like he just had no, you know, concern for his own safety. It's almost, almost worrying, to be honest. Um <laughs> how unflinching he was. <laughs> <laughs> and after the first innings of uh, the Ashes, uh, who would you? Who, who were Australia's studs and duds, would you say? Ooh, studs and duds, it's a tough one. Uh, Josh Hazelwood was probably um, the biggest underperformer for Australia. He looked, yeah. you know, he, he's possibly a little bit underdone. He only had the one Sheffield Shield match after a, a decent injury layoff. Uh, Mitchell Stark got a three for right. I didn't think he bowled at his best, though. Um, studs. I'd say Nathan Lyon was yeah. excellent. I, that's he. That might be the best I've seen him bowl in Australia. He was getting considerable turn and bounce yeah. on a Gabba deck, which isn't common, even if this is an unusual Gabba deck. I thought Pat Cummins was excellent as well. Um, you know, for just a few magic moments to to mm. breaking that open. It took the big wicket of Joe Root yeah. uh, last night. Uh, another dud, possibly Sean Marsh for spilling Stuart Broad off Mitchell Stark, which cost Australia. You know some runs. Yeah, and uh, and Tim Payne, unfortunately, oh, of course, Tim Payne, unfortunately oh, I, I for him, put it out of my memory. <laughs> um, 
as it, it, as it, we read on the well, as I read on the website this morning, um, uh, you, from from people that know wicket keeping better than than we do, when you have a right-handed off spinner turning yeah. it back towards the stumps, yeah, it's, um, it, it's a hard. It's a yeah, hard yeah, yeah. catch off as, the edge. As Darren Berry, uh, one of Ast- one of the greatest wicket keepers um, in Australian history, even if he didn't get to play at the Test level, um, you know he he pointed out the fact that there's not much. It doesn't get much tougher as a keeper than keeping keeping to an off spinner against the right hand because the you know your body's going going with, with the, ball, the spin, yeah. So that edge takes it away, and then you've got away to move. from the edge, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, he probably should have taken it. Yeah. Jacob, thanks very much for joining us on The Splash. Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah, Jacob Karup there with all the details on Australia's first innings uh, in the field on the in the opening Ashes test. Uh, and Christy Doran, rugby writer and cricket writer, is, uh, is very offended that he wasn't invited into the podcast room earlier. Oh, good afternoon, Philip. Once again, it's a great <laughs> pleasure to be here. And yes, oh, look, it would have been nice to talk a little bit about cricket, but... Rugby continues. Rugby, the old rugby. The game they play in heaven. Um, and and rugby writer Sam Worthington is also in the in the podcast bunker. Rug, rugby was the winner. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me back. <laughs> uh, and quickly, uh, your your thoughts on Australia's effort in the field overall? Um, yeah, well, certainly under par. I think uh, England's total on a fairly lifeless pitch. They throw away a pretty good position and some very disciplined bowling from the Australians has got them in a pretty good position after the first innings. Yeah, and uh, and of course, head to the Fox Sports website for all the update and highlights uh, of the second day's play of the Ashes. Uh, but let's quickly talk some rah-rah, gentlemen. Uh, you, uh, st- straight fresh after you've recorded your own um, half-hour podcast for the, rug- the Fox Rugby podcast. So uh, rugby uh, fans out there should definitely go and tune into that um, for more depth on topics like the ARU trying to find a new chairman uh, as well as the Wallabies' final test for the year against Scotland this weekend, Sunday, early hours of the morning, 1.30am, and that's where we'll start. Uh, Sam, coming off a loss against England, uh, what do the Wallabies have to play for uh, against this Scottish outfit this weekend? Yeah, I mean, obviously no major trophies um, on the line. There probably is some trophy I haven't heard of that they hand out at the end of the game. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, we, we spoke about it on our podcast, the, the last test of the of the year obviously rightly or wrongly you, you're judged on your last performance and so if they if they were to lose um you know coaches talk about it as being that sort of rock under the the towel over summer as, as guys try to relax they'll be you know having that that nasty nagging feeling in the, mm. in the back of their mind and so yeah a huge amount to play for um revenge yeah, revenge for the Sydney loss to mm. Scotland, which was a real sh- shock loss. No one was really tipping that. Um, pro- I think people probably underestimated Scotland greatly, which they won't do do so this time. Yeah, and um, of course you probably you're about, you're about to get to it with your next point, but the last test for uh, former captain Stephen Moore as well. So mm. definitely keen to to send him out. On, on a good note, so it, it really would shape it, it shapes the year to a large degree. Uh, like if we were to to hand out grades for the for the Wallabies um, at the moment, it's probably a a pass mark just at the moment. But if they were to get tipped up again, then then suddenly um, it starts. 
putting the year in a pretty negative light. So, yeah, huge amount to play for. I mean, it's interesting, Christy, uh, feel free to jump in as well because at the point, at that point when we, when we lost to Scotland on home soil, it was almost, you know, back to rock bottom for the Wallabies. Um, and that was still only, you know, this season. Six uh, months ago. Six months ago. And here we are probably feeling kind of positive with where the Wallabies uh, have ended up, even though they couldn't beat England on uh, over uh, on or in or in their on their home soil, I should say. Yeah, uh, wow, couldn't couldn't spit that one out. Uh, it does. Does it feel like um, almost a win the the way they've been able to progress throughout the season? Oh, cer- certainly. Leading up to last week, there had been a, a dramatic improvement right throughout the season. Losing to to Scotland was was a was a shocking start. Losing once to them at home when they're f- missing two of their three or three of their four best players because of the British and Irish Lions series and, a, and an injury as well. Um, but to, they're, they're coming into this match under a lot of pressure. Scotland is, is a much improved outfit. They've, they've done quite well throughout the Six Nations this year, earlier in the year, albeit. But uh, they pushed the All Blacks right to the very last second last week and they, they almost could have pinched the game right at the end. So the Wallabies are coming off the back of, although they're, They've, they've played quite well over the last couple of months. They're coming off the back of a thrashing uh, 30 points to six. They lost to England. And, mm. and although they were unfortunate with a, a number of decisions going against them, 50-50 decisions, that on another day they might have gone in their favour, it, it's a record defeat against England. So to, to lose two in a row off the back of the season that we've had in Super Rugby, um, another Bledisloe defeat, only one team making the Super Rugby finals, uh, a CEO... Um, still to be announced and all the backlash out of that, it would be a, a, a really poor result for the Wallabies if they were to, to lose and, and it's going to be a very difficult match against Scotland this weekend. Tong and Thor and Stephen Moore are the big subplots uh, for this in this weekend's game. We mentioned Stephen Moore. He'll play his final test as a Wallaby in the green and gold uh, and Tong and Thor uh, making his first test in the green and gold. Yeah, just a real changing of the guard moment, which is yeah, kind of cool, I guess, um, to literally someone's last test after the, the second longest uh, test career behind George Gregan, um, Stephen Moore will bow out with, and, and the Tong and Thor. It's you know this highly anticipated debut that uh, you know two or three years um, in the making since he burst onto the scene as a, mm. a YouTube sensation. So yeah, one of the more highly anticipated debuts. We we all know what he can do with with ball in hand um, and in defence as well. But it's it's a scrummaging, I guess, that will be under the most uh, scrutiny from from rugby aficionados whether he can deal with the the Scottish pressure um, for some grizzled old old veterans in the Scottish camp because um, he's likely to come on. Oh, I'm thinking this test is going to be very close again. Um, history shows that um, so if he's thrown on in the, in the last 20 minutes he, it's going to be a real baptism of fire but yeah it's just such an exciting prospect and it's it's going to be very cold and chilly over there but hopefully conditions are okay for him to, to get a couple of charges as well and and where does Scotland pose the biggest threat this weekend what are their strengths well they're good in the set piece um, they showed that down here in Sydney just a, six months ago so I think certainly in, 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 the, in the front row that, that scrummaging battle is going to be massive um, but we're, we're used to seeing Scotland be you know, set piece dominated um, and, and uh, it's typically in those conditions cold, wintry, muddy, wet underfoot uh, that will always be a big part of the game but Scotland's really developed over the last year or two two to three years with Finn Russell at 10 their fly half and uh, they've now got some real pace and speed out wide with the likes of Stuart Hogg and 
Tommy Seymour and, and Hugh Jones, the centre. So there's there's threats really across the field now, and they're becoming actually somewhat of a complete side. Mm. Uh, so there's no easy easy matchup. So I'm curious to see how Stephen Moore in his final test goes because he really has looked like he's been on 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 running on overdrive over the last six to twelve months, particularly, and he and he's just been in his final test, and it's 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 a mark of respect, and I think it's it's a nice mark of respect, but he's going to be starting in place of the best scrummager in Australia, it's Tafu Pilotta now, so he's got a, a huge job on his hand in his final test. What an opportunity, really. Yeah, for sure. And uh, moving along to um, to the AIU situation where they're searching for a replacement. Bill Pulver at the top of the ARU uh, and there are two, possibly three candidates uh, with rather different resumes, Sam Worthington. Yeah, indeed. So uh, yeah, the two names that uh, have emerged that were interviewed, the shortlisted candidates this week, uh, yeah, pretty well known to sports fans. Phil Kearns, the, the former Wallabies captain, the, the World Cup winner, and Rayland Castle, the uh, former NRL chief executive of the Bulldogs who came over from New Zealand um, from a netball administration background over there. So yeah, you, you've got on one hand the, the ultimate, I guess, rugby insider, the, the former Wallabies legend that's mm. um, you know, very much part of the Sydney rugby fabric which which has been a a criticism in the Australian game that uh, that it's too Sydney centric, so that's uh, an issue for the ARU to ponder. Um, and then you know Raylan Castle, the ultimate outsider who doesn't have any, I guess, uh, um, agendas or, or mm. but but on the other hand doesn't have those established rugby connections that yeah. uh, Kearns would as well. So a huge decision um, given what the, the the context of where r- rugby in Australia is at at a real sort exactly. of cr- crossroads moment. A lot of uh, high emotion. Um, you know some financial difficulties and, and some and, and some difficulties. and some up and down um, on field performance as well. So yeah, whoever they go for, um, it, it, it's yeah just a, a huge job on their plate and, and a very important decision to make. And look, without getting too deep, which avenue uh, do you guys personally feel the ARU should take in this situation? Yeah, uh, it, it's a hard one because you know Castle. Um, left the the Bulldogs in a, a bit of a rocky situation as well um, and, and you know we, we, we know Phil Kearns from here at, here at Fox Sports but I, I do think it's a bit of an issue um, to, to, to stick with um, someone who is so entrenched, I, I think it does need a maybe a fresh set of eyes from outside that, mm. that little rugby bubble to, to not necessarily completely clean house but just to come at it with a, with a very um, no, no agenda um, position so yeah, without knowing who else they've they've uh, interviewed or who else has put their hand up, um, I, I would be leaning that way. Yeah, it would certainly be interesting to to work out and find out and discover who who's actually been kind of interviewed and thought of in this process because we've only got a couple of names so far, really. Uh, and the AIU or Rugby Australia, as we're now calling it, have uh, been very private and tried to keep this completely inboard at this stage in in house. Um, I, I think also like it's something that we haven't discussed just yet is the fact that the castle she's a she's a New Zealander and we're seeing a lot of New Zealanders at the moment flooding into Australian rugby Robbie Dean's left Australian rugby and 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 a lot of Australians certainly didn't want to go back in that route to having a, a New Zealand foreign coach but you look at the Waratahs uh, coach New Zealander assistant coach New Zealander CEO New Zealander uh, Brad Thorne were all black um, Dave Vessel's South African heritage. There will be questions of: Are we getting too many people from outside 
and 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 not looking at, at Australians. So it's just a question. It's it's. I think it will be discussed and uh, in the fallout if 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 she does get it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Ian Payton and the Daily Telegraph uh, reported today that that was what was going to get Kearns the the edge. Basically, that uh, they were you know a little bit uh, touchy about the you know handing another prominent position to um, a foreigner, I guess. So it's it, it raises the question why then shortlist a, a person if you're not going to consider them on on, on nationality grounds. So yeah, the, all a very interesting uh, back and forth behind Watch the scenes. Space. Did you say they're They've done a little rebrand as well, Rugby Australia now. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the, not going to fix someone, their problems. Someone, someone got paid uh, a few hundred thousand dollars to come up with that clever rebrand. No, no, no doubt. I'm not. <laughs> don't quote me on that. I'm just joking. But yeah, it's uh, it seems a little bit pointless to me. Um, but yeah, maybe they they think by switching their their letters around they can um, you know come with, with a fresh start. But um, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting paid to come up with a, a rebranding <laughs> like that. Fair enough, boys. Yeah, thanks for joining the splash. Happy days. Back to the cricket. And uh, yeah, back to the cricket. Uh, and out there, enjoy your weekends. Thanks for thanks for tuning in to the Splash on this Friday for another week. Uh, that's a wrap.